it's still shocking really when you think of his age. At 17, people aren't allowed go into pubs. Mm. They're not allowed to buy drink. They're not allowed to vote. You know, if we look back in yeah. a fair few years, if you think how innocent and unformed you were at the age of 17, he's an unformed child. Mm. And to think that um, this child really was probably killed to make a point. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Paul Crosby and Gerard Cruz had to listen to the tragic victim impact statement of Elizabeth Mulready, mum of murdered Kean Mulready Woods this week, as she told a court she could never have imagined the dark and sadistic minds of those who killed her child could have lived amongst her community. Details of the murder and the dismemberment of the 17-year-old were heard during a sentence hearing for the pair. Both 27-year-old Crosby and 49-year-old Cruz have pleaded guilty to facilitating the murder, which was carried out by the late Robbie Lawler. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the shocking murder that made global headlines, about the background of the pair in the dock, and about a cycle of violence that ended in an unforgivable act of depravity in a commuter town. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. He's absolutely tiny. Yeah. Five foot four or five, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny little. Like he looks almost like a child yeah. himself, you know. He's, what is he, 20, 27? Yeah. Uh, he could pass for 21, came into court. He was, it was weird actually because um, Jared Cruz was brought in first and he's 49, sort of tall, very thin, gaunt looking man. Yeah. And he was brought in to sit where the accused usually sit and particularly for sentence hearings yeah. in what you'd call the dock. And um, Paul Crosby's then brought in by the prison officers. And the first time I've ever seen it in a court, they set up a seat just before in front of the media yeah. bench. Yeah. And he sat down and a prison officer sat beside him. Yeah. So presumably they did not trust him enough to sit beside Jared Cruz. Presumably so. Um, obviously, the court heard Gerard Cruz had given a, a series of statements. I don't know if that was a source of contention, but some some prisoners in the system do get uh, escorted, and many many don't. Uh, so yeah, it's it, he's they all get escorted into court, and they are all surrounded by prison officers. But they obviously couldn't leave him in prox- within kind of punching distance. I would say of Gerard Cruz. Yeah. I so, mean that that does highlight, of course, he might be five foot nothing and and look about look like a, a an innocent child, but of course Paul Crosby is being one of Ireland's most volatile and dangerous criminals. Um, I suppose actually, like Alan Wilson as well. I saw Alan Wilson in court, uh, yeah. who's 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 serving sentence um, for a number of crimes, including a, a murder plot. Um, but he looked. Tiny as oh, he well. He is tiny. Yeah. He's angelic looking almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely Crosby. Like, I mean, when the, obviously, 
this was they were there for the sentence hearing, which because they both pleaded guilty to to, to another sort of facilitating murder to to cut down that's a long charge and knowledge of the. Uh, involves it's the same thing a lot of people have come before where they have knowledge of a criminal organization and facilitated a murder um of of Keen Mulready Woods. Um um obviously that this is you know we, we do Irish gangland all the time <clears throat> you know it's often kind of of parochial interest but the, the the nature and the manner in which Keen Mulready Woods was killed a seventeen-year-old, a child, uh, made news all over the world, mm. um, Mexico, everywhere. It, w- it was covered because of just the the sheer savagery and brutality of how he how he died. Like, I mean, genuinely shocking. I think you know, and I think the human cost of that mm. is brought home by by Keen Mulready Woods's mother's statements in court. For sure. Now um, we'll recap on what happened. Um, so, Keen Mulready Woods was a seventeen-year-old boy that had been working with. Um, really, I think the problem that was kind of put out was that he had a foot in both camps in the Drogheda feud. That he probably had associates on both sides, and that necessarily wasn't because he was a crafty individual. It was because Drogheda is so small, yeah. and you know his his larger associates had kind of fallen into both sides of that feud, which kicked off in 2017. Owen Maguire had been the kingpin. He is the kind of the the mob boss of Drogheda. Uh, he had been a you know a drug dealer running a quite a large group of young lads um and older criminals in the town and two brothers and a and Crosby himself sort of decided that they wanted to pitch for themselves and they didn't want to be working for Owen Maguire anymore around 2017. They kind of went out on their own and you had this older criminal called Richard Carberry who was had moved from Coolock to the Meath area and decided to sort of see the potential of this younger gang and direct them and supply them. Yeah, so I mean, uh, Carberry would have had associates in, in sort of the broader uh, Mr. Big organisation would have had connections to be involved in drug importation as opposed to just distribution. And the two brothers and Paul Crosby were childhood friends. Um, Paul Crosby had been a kind of a runner for Owen Maguire. Um, And what I was always told was that he had been working with the Maguire gang since he was younger than Keen Mulready Woods and that they treated him really, really badly, that they'd kind of half bullied him beating him up a bit, really picked on him, but had him working for them and all of that. And that's the way uh, that kind of settled into a, a pattern of resentment. And then when they decided to take control, they believed they had the backing, of course, of Robbie Lawler at that stage. Who Robbie Lawler, of course, was Richie Carberry's brother-in-law, Yeah, but was also part of that grouping as the Carberry yeah, he was. You wouldn't say he was actually essentially. He was almost like Lawler was a bit of a lone wolf. He was a bit of a a freelance hitman. Plus, I suppose he had his <coughs> brother-in-law's back, and maybe if there was money to be made, he was involved in the protection. Yeah, Lawler had drifted between all of those gangs in that Kulak area, and had generally, as as he was growing up, had been a part of them, but never a kind of a core member. 
a lone wolf, as you said. Um, but like people like Mister Big, he had been grown up with, grown up with them. I'd been pally with them at one stage, but had had various falling outs. Like obviously a very volatile kind of criminal. Um, so I suppose this this anti Maguire faction, as it became known, felt they had backing of a couple of serious criminals in Dublin. They obviously then had people that had started to hit their their mid to early 20s and become more serious criminal figures. Mm. And they had a resentment against the Maguires who they, these younger guys who felt they'd been kind of pushed around and mistreated by them. That's the background to what happened. Um, obviously, so there was a lot of sort of um, tit-for-tat threats. There was, you know, arson attacks. There was physical attacks on people to and fro uh, between the Maguire and the anti-Maguire faction throughout 2017 and into 2018, when, of course, in 2018, in the July of that year, Robbie Lawler shot Owen Maguire, totally ramping up this sort of uh, feud into a proper full-blown gangland, murderous feud. Now, Maguire survived, but was left with catastrophic injuries and has been wheelchair bound ever since. Went into hospital for a long period of time in the Lord's Hospital and actually refused to leave because I suppose he was getting a bit of protection there. Yeah. There was full-time guardie on the hospital in case anybody came in to finish him off. Um, you'd wonder with the Lawler, when you actually look at where Robbie Lawler was at in his chaotic life, he was at the pinnacle of his chaos at that point. And you would wonder, did he purposely allow Maguire live so as he could survive and he could mock him about those injuries. I mean, I'm not being dramatic about that. When you actually look at the the chaos Robbie Lawler was, was, you know, in the midst of then. Well, he certainly liked to make a point with the violence that he committed, you know. Um, He'd obviously been before the courts for a number of of issues. He'd taken... Um, the rare step of actually uh, going as a witness in one of his own trials in relation to a former partner, not to get back into it, you know, really uncommon for criminals of that type. And, you know, didn't uh, pull his punches, really seemed to revel in the limelight as as he gave evidence. But eventually got found not guilty in that charge and he was back in the streets and that escalated the feud. And then... Um, that was December of, of 2019. He was released back onto the streets. Um, and, and then the release of Cornelius Price, um, who'd also been in prison for, for attempting to, to knock down a Garda, basically, in a very serious incident. He got out and he would have been uh, arguably the boss of Owen Maguire in a sense, or had been at, at least at one stage. And he escalated the feud then as well, because Cornelius Price is obviously you know, was one of the most dangerous criminals in this country as well. And he had a certain amount of international connections. He'd been an associate in Maguire's. The own Maguire kind of seemed to have taken over at some point when Cornelius Price was behind bars. But all of that started escalating the feud, the addition of Lawler on one side and Price on the other. Um, And it all, I suppose, culminated in the shocking and brutal murder of Keane Mulready Woods. So in the run-up to that, when Lawler was released from prison in December 2019 and a bulletin was sent out to Garda stations to be aware of how volatile he was and prior to his release, of course, Richie Carberry, his brother-in-law, had been shot dead by the Maguire faction and he was incensed and absolutely out for revenge. Uh, There was an incident, if people remember, around the December, early January and he was in town in a gym. He'd come out of the gym 
uh, look, he'd so many enemies because he had previously been involved in murders, including that of uh, Fred Lynch, who, yeah. whose younger associates had kind of grown to be Teen, like a late teenagers, yeah. Fred Lynch was a was a, a known criminal, and he was shot about a decade ago. And yeah. Robbie Lawler was a very young man when it probably more than a decade ago. Uh, when and Robbie Lawler was believed to have been the the, the trigger man in that murder, and all of those sins uh, started to come back to haunt him as mm. well. So he had, like, I mean, he had the younger associates of Fred Lynch. He had fallen out with Mr. Big, his former friend. He obviously had gone to war with Owen Maguire and Cornelius Price and various other people that he had, you yeah, know, be, be it, he, had, he had domestic kind of arguments as well as yeah. criminal underworld arguments. So he was a really volatile character and he was approached on the street by younger associates of Fred Lynch. There was a set to and they grabbed his gym bag. And later on, there was a, a social media... Uh, video put up that went viral and later on one of the younger associates made some sort of a funny TikTok video in which he took the flip-flops out of the gym bag and had them on and it was kind of like an F you Robbie Lawler yeah. we got your flip-flops. Yeah. So that escalated into Robbie Lawler absolutely like baying for blood and being out wanting to show everybody how dangerous he was you know, that you didn't mess with him, you didn't take his effing flip-flops. Yeah. And in the January, you know, just weeks after that incident had occurred, of course, Elizabeth uh, Mul- Mulready goes into the Drahada Garda station and reports her 17-year-old son missing. He hasn't been seen in 24 hours. The family have previously spoken to him the day before. Yeah. Now, at the same time, as she's reporting him missing, we heard in court during his sentence hearing this week, um, there was intelligence coming in to the Gardaí that he'd actually been murdered. Yeah, because this is what we hear and this wasn't part of the court case, so we don't know, but apparently there have been phone threats issued between associates of Cornelius Price and Robbie Lawler and Robbie Lawler had been phoning people, telling them what he was going to do and, you know, people that somehow got back to the Gardaí and they believe Kimo really would, although he had... He, he, disappeared only a number of hours. They believed that he had been murdered. Um, they they were very, very concerned for her safety straight off. Mm. Now, um, Paul Crosby, who has pleaded guilty to facilitating this murder, uh, during that day when Keen Mulready Wood is uh, reported missing by his mother Elizabeth, when the Guardian have received intelligence that he is dead, yeah, um, it turns out, actually, that Paul Crosby comes in and signs on in the Garda station in the middle of all this. That's what I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon and he toddles into the Garda station. And I kind of vaguely remember that happening at the time they were watching him. Yeah, I mean, it was very, you know, it, it, it's it's not a well-planned murder, for sure, you know, um, because Kim Mulready Woods is last seen in, on, in Drogheda on the 12th of January. And... <clears throat> You know, his last, he, he gets a call from Paul Crosby, which I presume is Paul Crosby's own phone to Keen Mulready oh, Wood's own phone. Mm. So you just, that shows you kind of what, this isn't a sophisticated, uh, a brutal, savage murder, but mm. not a sophisticated plot. So they, they phone each other on their own phones and, and Keen Mulready Woods then jumps in a taxi and they meet... Um, Ballsgrove at Ballsgrove a shop. Ballsgrove, five minutes later, and they're picked up at that point 
by um, Jared Cruz, who's all who was also before the court. So and then um, the two of them meet. They go into the shop. A sign of his age, actually. Keen Mulready Woods buys the court was told an energy drink. Yeah, and they come out and they hop into the back of Jared Cruz's car. Yeah, Jared Cruz drives them to Rathmullen Park. And where they are picked up by CCTV and seen at the back of this house, uh, which is owned or been lived in at the time by a man called Jed McKenna, who's previously been before the courts, has pleaded guilty to helping clean up after a crime and has been sentenced already. So they're seen at the back of this house. And at that point, Robbie Lawler is also seen. So, I mean, this is CCTV, I presume picked up yes. through the estate rather than uh, sp- specific surveillance footage or anything like that. I think that estate was fitted with cameras and yeah. I think there were parts of Drogheda that were fitted with CCTV cameras as part of crime prevention measures yeah. in the town. Uh, so yeah, I mean they would have probably had they been more organised they would have realised where the CCTV yeah. cameras were pointing they would yeah. have you know, obviously not stood under them. Uh, poignantly when the details of the case were being read to the court this week. Um, they had given a time, it was maybe 10 to 7 in the evening, and it was the last sighting of Keen Mulready Woods alive, yeah. and he was standing at the back of that property with Robbie Lawler. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's still shocking, really, when you think of his age. You know, at, at 17, people aren't allowed going to pubs, mm. they're not allowed to buy drink, they're not allowed to vote. You know, they can't, uh, you know, people are in fifth class, fifth year in school, getting ready to study their leaving cert. I mean, if people, you know, if we look back in a fair few years, if you think how innocent and unformed you were at the age of 17, I mean, despite the fact that he was, you know, Kim Mulready Woods was, knew some of these people involved, he's an unformed child. Mm. And to think that um, this child really was probably killed not for any uh, major criminal vendetta or anything like that but most likely absolutely killed and butchered over the flip-flops it seems to be the more to likely make a motive point. yeah to make a point um and that's it, from a very psychotic mind yeah. like i mean i think robbie lawler and i'll be delving into it what happened to him further uh, later this week maybe with Alison Morris in a podcast about what happened to him later in, in Belfast but Robbie Lawler was you know I use the word chaotic but I, I think probably had gone into full-blown psychosis surely at that stage surely a human being has to have an altered brain to um, be able to carry out or to feel the, the need for this kind of savagery and this sort of Almost medieval violence. Yeah, I mean, it's about making a point, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's about, you know, his pride is damaged by, by this video going up and, and that is the motive for the murder. I mean, it's some ways... disconnect from the reality of the world we live in yeah. was at full tilt at this stage. Yeah. I mean, what happened that night was he brought, obviously, Robbie Lawler into this house in Rathmullen, owned by Jed McKenna. He was out and while... The details were read to the court through sort of an interview. Detective Inspector Aidan McCabe, who was the, the senior investigating officer on the case of Keen Mulready Woods, was in the box and he was being brought through the evidence by John Byrne, senior counsel for the director of public prosecutions, um, who actually named Robbie Lawler as the chief suspect. You know, the, Robbie Lawler was pretty much named officially in court yeah. as the guy who did this. But um, 
as he was being brought through the evidence, Detective Inspector McKay was, you know, answering, you know, in the positive to what was being put to him. But basically, uh, part of that was that Keen Mulready Woods was, and I'm sure at the very least yeah. for his mother and his family and his friends and his sister and his brother and all those people that loved him, he was dead before any of the dismemberment yeah. had started. They were able to to, to tell that through medical yeah. examination of his body. Uh, but Robbie Lawler brought him into that house and um, with other parties, or party at least, yeah. killed him. Yeah. And then... Over the next day, it appears, with the help of various people, including Paul Crosby and Gerard Cruz, um, gathered bags, gathered power tools, hand tools, and cut them to bits. Yeah. And this was part of making the point, as as far as we know, which was to, to drop these body parts in specific areas. Um, possibly one of them was some of those body parts were due to go to a location in Drogheda, which may, may not have happened. And then other body parts from of Keane Mulready's body parts were brought to Mo, to the Mofu area of Kulak and left there in a bag. And that was also to make a point to people that Robbie Lawler, some of those younger criminals that Robbie Lawler wanted to threaten and intimidate and show what he was willing to do. Who um, were operating, of course, under Mr. Big at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of a message to him too. It, exactly. It was a message to, to him and to them in particular. And I mean, the message was that I'll go to any lengths and I will do anything uh, if you if you mess with me, basically. I mean, it's not much more sophisticated than that, the message. Um, obviously, then, two days later, more remains were found in, in a car in Drunk Hundred that had been hidden. As far as we, we've been told, that they may have gotten spooked at that point and abandoned those. And then, much later, uh, on the 11th of March, another couple of months on, um, the final part of Kimulridi's woods' remains were found in a in a in a sort of wasteland area near Ratmullen Park in Drogheda. Mm. So I mean, the, the obviously Kim Mulready Woods's mother spoke about having to give have two funerals. I think yeah, is what she said. As his I mean, body parts were found around the country, she yeah, said in her I mean, statement. I mean, it's beyond beyond uh, the evidence of the phones and the CCTV and the various evidence of seeing Crosby and Cruz at their homes. They're seen at their homes. You know, so that that was the twelfth of January. Okay, they believed that he was killed, that Keen Mulready Woods was killed shortly after that last sighting of him with with Robbie Lawler. There's activity in the Rathmullen estate, and Crosby and Cruz are at are in taxis at their homes in the early hours of the morning, um, and the following day, Cruz picks up a false number plate for a car, um, and there, he has left bags, Tesco bags, and little bags. Containing a drill was a drill was one of them, and presumably the cleaning equipments and stuff is in the rest of them. So over that period between the twelfth and the thirteenth, during that night, we can only imagine it was when the body was dismembered. There was a puma bag, uh, also provided by Cruz, which was discovered then in Moatview the next the the night of the thirteenth. So the mother goes into the Garda station, um, you know, in tandem the intelligence is coming in, and it's that night that. In the Puma bag, um, in in at about eight o'clock, the car is seen pulling into that estate. A bag is thrown out, and a passerby then notices. And it's it's Keen Mulready Woods. What later is is um, 
you know, confirmed to be his legs and the flip-flops are in that bag. I mean, the horror of that alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the following day, the taxi, the burnt-out car in Drumcondra area is his head and hands are discovered in that, in the back of that. Um, and it's the torso that's later found in Rathmullen in the back there's talk that Lawler buried that himself and he had wanted to bring it up to be found somewhere around Cornelius Price's compound in Gormanston in County Meath. Just horrendous. And, you know, you could just see the three judges there yesterday. So they will have to retire now to consider the sentencing. There is obviously a maximum sentencing with the charges they have uh you know, pled guilty to Paul Crosby was initially one of these that was charged with murder. Had there been a trial, had he been found guilty of that, he would have got a mandatory life sentence. But, you know, I think they can get up to 10 years on this. Yeah, I mean, Paul Crosby is obviously a serious criminal, yeah. um, but he's also a serious criminal with a record. You know, some some of these guys don't have that 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 criminal history, but he has more than 40 convictions and many for road traffic offences, but also for possession of drugs, criminal damage, theft, fraud and arson. Um, And he was also caught with a mobile phone in prison, I suppose a very much lesser charge. But I mean, Paul Crosby was obviously uh, somebody who shot to notoriety and had been in the Sunday world previously um, because he was acquitted of an attempted murder um, following a trial in 2019. And we had written about that at the time. Um, he'd been accused of the attempted murder of Gerard Boyle. Um, he, Mr Boyle was stabbed 28 times and forced into a boot of a car um, that was then pushed into a canal. Now, Paul Crosby gone on trial and, and ultimately been found not guilty. Before a jury. Before a jury. Mm. Um so, I mean, that was a particularly horrific case, you know, and I mean, obviously, Mr. Boyle was, was blessed to be alive. Um, obviously, you, you might think, and that you're, you know, you have fully accept that he was found not guilty after mm. a, a, a fair trial, but you have to think if he had been found guilty, uh, he wouldn't have been there to facilitate this murder for sure. No, and likewise with Robbie Lawler, because... Prior to his release from prison in December 2019, he had been acquitted of that charge of threatening both his uh, ex-girlfriend and the attempted murder of her new partner's mother, yes, Fiona Mitchell. And um, yeah, you know, his his ex-partner had given statements to Gardaí, and when it came to court, she had totally changed her her story and and said that they weren't true. She was lying when she gave the statements. Yeah, um, and again, that was before a jury. Yeah, um, and not to disparage juries or anything, but you know when you have really dangerous individuals like this, that's what the special criminal court is really. Why it's hearing these cases, these gangland cases. Yeah, look, everybody's entitled to a fair trial, absolutely. But you know, it just it does show you that these two guys have been, uh, you know, acquitted on very serious charges, and and look, this is the consequence. Yeah, I just it's probably worth reading a couple of lines from Elizabeth. Um, from Key Mulready Woods's mother, Elizabeth, that she gave in court yesterday. Um, you know, she, she says she hears her son call to her every day and battles with knowing that she could not help her son. And she says, the haunting nightmares will live with us forever, she said. The loss is something that we will have to live with. You don't get over it. You don't move on. Um, she says she feels vulnerable in her home every day Has to, and she has to walk past where her son died. And she said, which I think is really accurate she said she could never imagined that the dark sadistic minds that kill that killed her son 
could live in our community. Um, that actually, I thought, was very poignant because, you know, when you're sitting there and you're looking at, in particular, Paul Crosby, because I think Jared Cruz did have a slightly lesser role. He was somebody who had struggled with drug addiction during his life. We were told he had done what he did really for money, I think. Yeah. I mean, that was it. He was actually, he claimed in one of his statements and you talked about that they couldn't sit beside one another and the threat maybe he was under. But in one of his statements, he had said that Paul Crosby offered him a few bob to help dispose of the body parts and he refused. Yeah. He had also, from the very beginning, sort of said he was horrified by what happened to the, the, the child and um, not to take from the fact that he's involved in this crime, yeah. he has facilitated it, but he certainly seems like a lesser evil. I yeah, think, than one, Paul Crosby. maybe a further step removed than Paul, Paul, Paul Crosby. But when you're sitting there in court like, and you're listening to these details come out and you're recalling because, you know, you can sort of rattle it off, but actually you're considering how these people would have taken that terrified 17-year-old, would have killed him and then hacked at and dismembered his body and the just the levels of depravity in that um, and then disposed of them in the way they did. And I'm looking at Paul Crosby and he's sitting looking around the court. At one point turned around and winked at me. Yeah. Big smile on his face. Um, clearly a individual with a very uh, difficult uh, sort of personality and possibly somebody, I mean, you're just looking at him, you would think, was something missed along the way with this guy? Because they said that he had grown up in the Drogheda area, that he had been two other siblings. The mother was there, but the father was never involved in their lives at all, that he had left school early and got involved in drugs and had a cocaine problem early. Okay, that's a bit basic. There has to be something surely more there that would turn a human being into that depraved, evil, disconnected sort of monster. Well, look, this is what I've heard is that he it's it's such a complex problem, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know, we're talking about people being groomed into gangs last week and new laws that are coming forward but what I've always been told about Paul Crosby was he was one of those children who was at, at a very young age was sucked into it by members of the Maguire gang who were maybe 10 years older than him. And he was doing the dog's body work. And not only was he sucked into that life of crime, but he was treated really, really badly mm-hmm. and sort of brutalized by them one way or another. Um, and then he grows up. You know, these, these guys who are in those gangs as teenagers are just runabouts, but then all of a sudden they're, they're into their, their early twenties and they enact that, f- what, what was done to them on mm. other people. And he obviously stepped it up again. And then you have another teenage, teenager, Keen Mulready Woods being a victim of somebody who's been brutalized. And it's such a horrible cycle of violence, yeah. you know? Um, that's not to excuse anything that Paul Crosby did. No, 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 it, but it's just, I mean, you can't, you, you, you're looking at this 27 year old wondering how has it come to this that he's sitting here in this court facing these horrendous charges? He's in a way lucky he's not facing a murder charge because the state has dropped the charges and he's pleaded guilty on a lesser one. But I mean... It's a cycle though. Where do you go from there? I don't know. You're sitting there and and still with that attitude, like there's no remorse there whatsoever. In actual fact, it was interesting because Cruz... um, made an apology to the family for what it was worth and said for his any involvement he had. I mean, he just pleaded guilty to involvement. So, uh, But uh, Crosby didn't make an apology and his 
senior counsel said to the court, like, you know, him not making an apology didn't mean that he wasn't remorseful. Yeah. Now, just as Tony Hunt accepted, I like him, he's so clever. Yeah. He basically said, look, some, you know, the apologies don't, he wasn't saying they didn't mean anything, but he was saying they could be sort of taken either way and he can understand. Sometimes an apology from people like that can irritate and annoy and further aggravate the family because they firstly think it's just being said to get lesser sentence. Which it can be Which it can be, exactly. And also, maybe they don't want the bloody apology. I'm sure they don't. I mean, I I wouldn't want a stupid apology from somebody who had taken my child, tortured him and dismembered him like that. I mean, absolutely. But anyway, but you could just see in his demeanour that Crosby wasn't sorry. And we know also that there's been certain activities within the prison system since he's been there. And very recently, he is suspected of involvement in certain things that have happened in prison. He's been caught with a mobile phone. And he just is... You'd wonder, is there any healing that can be done for a person like that? People say no human is beyond... uh, helping, but like... Well, no human is beyond beyond helping. I mean, I think you have seen people do terrible, terrible things and come out, but it does require a transformation of the person, you know? And for Paul Crosby, that doesn't seem to have come. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have it in him for that. Do you know what I mean? I just wondered, though, surely something was missed along the way there. Surely there was some sort of a personality problem that should have been recognised when he was a child. And you see, he's been using cocaine since so long as well. So that can fry your brain. Well, I think That fries your bloody brain, it, it, that I'm stuff. Sh- I'm sure. But it, it, see, it's also the normalisation of that level of violence as, yeah. a, young, uh, as a formative teenager, like in his yeah. early teens, to, to see that sort of level of violence, it, it can become normal. And it happens to people... In, in wars and things it like does, that. And yeah. you know, so I don't, that's not to ex- excuse anything that he did, but. And I've heard people describe as well, I mean, very young people who would have been involved, you know, as in the Mexican cartels as the, as the child soldiers and stuff like yeah. that. And they describe that, you know, the, the dread of the first kill and then once they kill once there's a coldness to it there isn't it's like as if you're dehumanised yeah but people disassociate I mean not to get too uh, deep for crime yeah. world but people do crime switch is it. deep it is, but it is absolutely very deep especially when I'm on but uh, no uh, people do disassociate they turn off bits of their brain yeah. as they see stuff and that's that's what mm. happens but I mean look it, that doesn't excuse things because... No, it's just to try and comprehend this it. Is, this is what happens. People switch it off in their brain. They, they switch it off. But everybody, nonetheless, even if you do that or that happens to you because of what, what you've seen or been a part of as a young teenager, everybody knows. Paul Crosby is intelligent enough to know you can't... There's no excuse for doing that to a 17-year-old. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't excuse it. But it does look at, you know... How, where should the state intervene? What should be done for people that get sucked into that life? It's very, very complicated. And like what we talked about there last week, about the grooming and stuff like that. If Paul Crosby had children and was parenting children, Mm. you know, when he's... Like... In active the way he was, like, and, and, and also, sorry, Robbie Lawler, who's dead and gone but if he was parenting children which he had children Robbie yeah. Lawler yeah. I don't know how much hands on parenting he was doing but at the same time where do you go with that do you leave children with an individual that is as sick I don't know I mean and you know there was 
again, there was a thing in them. I don't actually know the final thing of it, but Tony Blair tried to bring introduce legislation where they preemptively put people in prison if they had personality disorder, antisocial personality disorders. That they, there was a thing, the belief that, but these people are going to commit crimes because of their yeah their psychiatric condition. Mm -hmm. Just let's just put them in jail before, and um, but that is also offensive to to natural justice. Mm. That that so there is complicated balances to be struck between people have you know personal liberty it's also traumatic for kids to be taken off parents so it's it's look there's no like the idea that there's just a simple simple answer no there there's definitely no simple answer to it but they're all sort of things that but, but people need to seek answers you know yeah and they do need to seek to you know because you see in Withrahada and there was a murder over Christmas mm. a particularly brutal and savage murder involving a man hammered to death not to get into it again but we have talked about it but I mean like that you can find that that murder which had nothing to do with the Drahada feud but is believed to have been carried out by some of the people that have been involved in that feud and that shows you that when that level of violence becomes embedded all of a sudden somebody that's a very minor player is dying a very brutal death because everybody has been brutalised and yeah. you know Come accustomed to that level of violence in 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 a in a sort of relatively small rural community, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It would Drogheda be considered rural anymore, though? To be honest with you, because it is a big, big commuter town. It's a little bit like Limerick, Drogheda. I think it's actually the same size as Limerick. You know, it is. There's about a hundred thousand population. It could be wrong. I'm sure I'll be corrected if I am. But, um, you know, the same thing happened in Limerick as well. Yeah, it's still, like it is. It is a, a commuter town within reason, but it's still a. A kind of a, a community of people that have lived there for generations mm. that it, that is distinct from Dublin. So it's yeah, it's a mix of both, and they're you know they have there's a lot of Dublin criminals that migrated up until up towards that area. Yeah, and you know that's all had a an impact. So just um, to finish up because we'll have to come back when they are sentenced, which is happening in February the thirteenth. They're due to be sentenced, um, and I'm sure. Justice Tony Hunt will have remarks to make considering the significance of this case, this gangland murder on a kind of a global level. level. Um, but Owen Maguire and the Drogheda feud and what is sort of, it's calmed. Yeah, it's, it's calmed, I think, because... The two brothers we spoke about that were had been with Paul Crosby and had left the Maguire faction to go it alone, they're on the run. They're on the run. They're out of the country. Um, they've been spotted in Spain and further abroad again. Mm. Um, and I suppose without them being present in in Drogheda, there's a much uh, there's probably no controlling hand on 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 who's left. Though they are believed to still be directing certain operations from where they are. Um, Cornelius Price is currently in a coma in a in a Welsh hospital, mm -hmm. and Cornelius Price really did step up that that faction when he was out and about. So it's like the curse. Of yeah, the a few. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. There's very few of them left. Yeah. Um, now there will there will be some players still there, but yeah. it's it's the wind has been taken out of their sails yes, for sure. True, true murders, true criminal policing, and tr exactly. true, true, true bad luck. And that's that's the way it usually is. Now, interestingly, Detective Inspector Aidan McCabe, while answering John Byrne, senior counsel, did say that the investigation into the death of Keen Mulready Woods is still open and it's still ongoing. So we can read from that that the two brothers probably haven't sailed off into the sunset. No. And 
obviously there any involvement they had in the in that murder and the dismemberment and the disposal of the body is still under investigation. They could face charges if they come back. Yeah, they could, and um, they're not likely to come back soon. Uh, after all, they all after come Augustine. back. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose they all come back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now we're still waiting for a few of them, but most of them who have, they just, I don't know whether they aren't sort of... Yeah, but what are you going to do? Like how many people, whether you're in the ordinary world or the underworld, are sophisticated enough as a human being to be able to forge a totally new life and leave behind everything you ever knew and relatives and family and friends and all that forever? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Well, as somebody always said to me, like, what are, I'm not just talking about these guys, but what are these criminals going to do they're going to get a job in McDonald's in, in, in Spain they're not no no you know? indeed not so they're always lured back into it yeah. but anyway look a horrendous horrendous I suppose somewhat closure for the family for the moment um, and the victim impact statement was important to get out it's incredible like when you're there the power of it coming being yeah. read directly yeah. from uh, the individual who's written it is much stronger than uh, obviously Elizabeth Mulready didn't feel able to stand up in court yeah. and to do that so it was it was read out by uh, by the the detective inspector McCabe but you, you know the words were still powerful but there is something about an yeah. individual delivering it themselves that yeah and I mean she did have some criticism for the media and you have to say you can understand where she's coming from um, just in terms of reporting on how upsetting it is. You it's know. a hard one to report any other way. I it, mean it the is. fact of the matter is it was the detail of it that made it so shocking and in yeah. the public interest both here and abroad that you know yeah, it still has to be reported on 100 can, 100% mm. but you can understand as well that that is upsetting for her. I'm sure it looked at the headlines yeah. and every time seeing her son's photograph in the paper, yeah. she knows what's, yeah. you know, it was coming with it. But look, that's three people pleaded guilty now, George, Ed McKenna, Cruz and Crosby. And, um, you know, it's maybe of some comfort to her that they haven't got away with it. Yes, so. absolutely. Niall Donald, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>